We're going to hop right in, uh, hop right into the text. We just finished Matthew 13, and so we find ourselves at the beginning of Matthew 14, and um, we will start there. And so, turn with me in your Bible. What we're going to do is I'm going to read Matthew 14. I'm going to give some background information. And then we're going to sort of re-go through it through the account of Mark. Because there's some different things, some more things that we can pick up through the story too. So, I just wanted to give you guys a little roadmap of what, uh, what exactly is going on. So, Matthew 14 verse 1, it says this. At the time... Herod, the Tetrarch, heard reports about Jesus, he, uh, and, his, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. This is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of uh, Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed because of his oath and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and, John, and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought to him on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came back and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Let's, uh, let's take a moment, let's pray and ask God uh, to speak to us this evening. Father, we just thank you, Lord, uh, that you have given us your word, Lord, and Father, that you've given us your whole word. And Father, as we look at this passage tonight, Lord, that we will be receptive. Father, that we can examine ourselves. And Lord, what you would have to us to apply to our lives, we shall do so. Uh, Father, uh, speak to us, change us. And we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. And so let's uh, go to the backstory of this. So this is Herod the Tetrarch, okay? And let's not confuse him with Herod the Great. So at the beginning of Matthew, we find ourselves sort of at the Christmas story and where uh, Herod the Great found out that there was a son to be born, a king, a promised Messiah, and so he has ordered all the children under two to be slaughtered, okay? This is not the Herod that we're talking about. This is his father, okay? And so um, let's get that straight. Uh, Herod the Tetrarch, when Herod the Great passed away, uh, the Romans came in and they took control of the area, but they allowed uh, his sons and divided his kingdom into four regions, okay? And so him and his brothers each had a different region. The Herod in this story, it's Herod Antipas, he, uh, he ruled over the area of Galilee. And so as Jesus was starting his ministry and he was working in, in the region of Galilee, eventually word got to him. And that's how it starts out. Word got to him and he said, um, he, he was asking, he says, is this John the Baptist? 
Uh, and Mark will say, is this John the Baptist whom I beheaded? And so what's going on is the, when, we, when we start here, it sort of goes into a flashback of what happened a couple months before. And so we also have a different, uh, some characters in this story, okay? And this is confusing. Hang with me, please, because I had to sort of reread, read, read. And then I also have an image that I can show. We're going we're gonna to learn this together because this family tree... Uh, it doesn't really branch out much. There's some intertwining within the family tree, so we're going to try to uh, figure this all out uh, this evening. And so, um, Herod uh, illegally divorced his wife, his first wife, um, who was a princess of Petra, okay? That's really not important, that, that part about Petra. But he decided to take a second wife, which was the wife of his brother, okay? Um, which happened to be his also niece, question mark? So we're going to, um, and so, and then the person who danced for Herod at the party was, his, was her daughter, his second wife's daughter, so his stepdaughter slash great niece. So let's put this on the board. Reed, if you can put this uh, family tree here. Okay. So at the top we see, we see Herod the Great. Okay. Herod the Great. Um, he's actually really horrible. Okay. So he was so paranoid that people were going to take over his kingdom. That's why he had babies killed. Okay. And so he had sons killed. He's had wives killed. And so I'm not really sure how these... Uh, wives or, or the sons survived because he was just so paranoid that someone was going to take his power. Um, we have the Herod in the story, Antipas, right here, okay? And so that is his mom, and those are the different wives that Herod the Great had. And so we have uh, Philip right here, his brother, and uh, unfortunately, the wife appears also in the family tree. So, um, under a different wife of Herod the Great. So this is Herodias right here, okay? So she marries her uncle, right? And they have a daughter. And then she decides she wants to bury him, and they just do it. It's, it's yes, thank you, Sal. It's complicated. <laughs> As most relationships are, ex especially when the relationships are in, you know, the same family. Family, relationships are complicated, families are complicated, they just get exponentially more complicated. And so, um, Herod marries his niece, uh, his niece, yeah, his niece slash... Um, I don't even know, sister-in-law, yes, and then is now father to his great-niece slash stepdaughter, so that's where we're working with, okay. Everybody following me? It's okay if, it's okay if you're not, it's all right. I suggest you guys look this up and figure this out yourself. I was at a, I was at the, a cafe on my laptop, like, looking at this and saying, oh my goodness, this is, this is nuts, but that sort of gives you an idea of where we're headed, okay. Um, I, it doesn't make sense to me either, but that's what's going on, okay? And so, as we're, we're jumping back into the story, um, 
we're, we're going to read this again through Mark's account, and we're going to be making some observations along the way, and then we're going to finish up with a couple of applications. And so uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 6. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 14. And it says this, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' names had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claim he is a prophet, like one of the prophets long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. And so I think it's interesting here. Um, I think there was some guilt going on here with him where all this stuff was happening and he was hearing this and the miracles and stuff and, and his own guilt made him think of, oh my goodness, it's John the Baptist, he's back. And I almost look at this as a movie scene, okay? If you like movies and uh, the, how the directors shoot things and stuff like that, this is the part in the movie where you see uh, Herod standing there and he starts thinking and he, you know, he says, this is John the Baptist whom I beheaded and it like fast zooms in on his eyes and then all of a sudden we're in a flashback, you know? And so that's sort of what happens here. He says that and then, and then it flashes back or if you guys were a fan of Lost, if you wasted your time watching Lost like I did um, and it did the flashback, the flash forward, the flash to the side, you know? This is sort of what's going on here. It's a flashback to where Herod now is talking about how uh, we hear how Herod himself, in verse 17, had given orders to have John arrested. Um, and it, he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, and I find this interesting in verse 20, because Herod feared John and protected him. In Matthew it says he feared John because of the people who followed him. Uh, continuing on, it says, Knowing him to be righteous and holy man, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Herod had John the Baptist thrown into prison to appease his wife. And so there's a couple things going on here that I want to take note. Um, Herod, being a powerful ruler that he was, he could have had John killed at that moment. And I think it's inter interesting as we hear about the kingdom message and, and, and John had been talking about uh, the kingdom that is to come and he was, he was uh, a, a prophet and speaking uh, on behalf of God. Um, and as we see the same way with how people are taking the message that Jesus is sharing as well, they don't understand it, but yet they're intrigued. And here he is when he talks about uh, John was uh, speaking out against the marriage, for the unlawful marriage that you have with your brother's wife. Uh, a lot of Bible scholars think this was a constant thing. Like, he wasn't just like, one time he opens his mouth, hey, that's wrong, and, 
and, and he just banishes them like that. This was a constant annoying thing. And so even though John was sort of being a, a, a pest about this issue of, of marrying your, wife, or your brother's wife slash niece, um, he, he still liked to hear what he said. He still was puzzled by the words that he said, so he was captivated by that. And because of that, he didn't want to, he didn't want to, he, he, he sort of still wanted to listen to him. He didn't want to just kill him. He liked to listen to him. However, uh, on contrast, uh, Herodias loathed John and wanted him dead because he openly spoke about their marriage. And it's interesting, the word that they use right here in verse 19, it says, she nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Now, when I think of a nursing something, I think of it in a positive light. You see this, this animal, uh, this orphaned animal, and you want to nurse it to health and nurse it to strength so it can, it, so it can uh, be released and everything like that. However, in this sense, this is, this is, this is something that she is fe constantly feeding. She's constantly feeding this grudge, and it turns into hatred. And we're going to see how that plays out. We've already seen how that plays out. So I think that's interesting uh, that it, she fed it and it consumed her. Her views of John uh, just overtook her. And also we see that Herod, like many people today, feared the opinion of people before fearing God. He was a true politician. Um... He was sort of afraid of the crowd. He didn't want to do anything to John because of the followers. He was also sort of afraid of his wife, and he was doing things because his wife, I don't know if he was afraid of his wife or he just wanted to please his wife, but he just did these things. Uh, and so he sort of caught trying to please everybody in the situation, and he also didn't want to uh, hurt John because he liked listening to him as well. So he's caught in this situation. Let's go on to read. Um... Verse 21, finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and the military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, uh, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Now, there's a couple things going on here, too. Uh, with, with Herodias' daughter dancing for the king, in this spectacle, uh, typically the entertainment would not be a person of a respectable uh, stature. The person who would normally be doing this would be... Uh, a professional, we shall say. Um, and so the fact that she was put in that position, it's evident that she was put in that position by her mom. Uh, they knew that Herod loved to please people. Here at the party, they were celebrating him. They were uh, trying to please him. It was for him, and they knew he just, if he, if he could go into a party, 
he would be the guy with a stack of bills just making it rain. And so, uh, knowing this, this was a part of the plan. And so, uh, she dances, he, uh, he, he comes up and he just says, whatever you want, up to half of my kingdom, it will be yours. And he's doing this in a boastful way and making it public in front of everybody. Shall we read on? Verse 24, she then went out to her mother and asked her, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried to the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Um, it's interesting here. Uh, there was no doubting in Herodias. The daughter asked her, what should I do? She knew exactly. This was premeditated. She knew exactly what she was doing. And parts of me think, oh, this poor girl. She's being used by her mom. But part of me thinks she was just as bad. Because not only did she go up to the king and ask for what her mom said, she added to it. She added to it. Her mom asked for the head of John the Baptist. She added, well, on a platter. And so she, go, she does that. Uh, the daughter not only went along with the plan, she added to them by asking for his head on a platter. And the king was greatly distressed because his oaths and his dinner guests. He did not want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back the head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples came, took his body, and laid it in a tomb. And so, I don't know if you guys have ever been in the situation of putting your foot in your mouth. Putting your foot in their mouth. I don't know, like, it's fun to be that person to, to say, take anything you want. Uh, I've, heard, I've heard stories of uh, a guy wanting to bless a, min, uh, a missionary with a suit, and he says, have any suit. And the one suit the guy picks was his favorite suit that was tailored that had his name in, uh, uh, etched on the inside, and it was sort of like the, mm, anyone but that. And this is sort of that same way of, um, he comes, he, his, his mouth just wrote a check he didn't want to cash. And um, something here, Rosh, uh, it distressed him making this decision of what to do. And it's funny, in the Greek, it's the same word, the same word distressed is used here that Jesus is, it experienced right before his execution. And so he was tore up about this. To have to be tore up between, you know, am I going to lose face or am I going to kill someone? I mean, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty low. I, I don't think that's a hard decision to, to, to make. But yet, here he, here he was. But the promise uh, should have been null and void, as Spurgeon wrote, because no man has the right to promise to do wrong. 
Another theologian wrote this, like most weak men, Herod feared to be thought weak. I found that interesting. And so, uh, finishing the story here, I needed to come up with some applications. So, so let's, let's try to apply something and, and come up with some applications. Uh, originally, it's, well, don't marry in your family, okay? <laughs> don't behead anybody, okay? I think we can all do that. We, we can all sort of zoom over that stuff. But let's uh, take some other applications away with us. The first one is don't be shocked at the depravity of this world. A lot of times uh, we are hearing now as, as we're seeing news and, and all the stuff that are captured on cell phones and everything like that, things are so bad. Oh, things have gotten so bad. Look, things have always been bad. This happened a long time ago and it's bad. Um, I just want to share something with you. Human beings are the worst. The, the Bible says this in Jeremiah uh, 17, 9. It says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so not only is the Bible saying that our hearts are deceitful and wicked, our hearts are so deceitful and wicked that we can't even understand how deceitful and wicked that they are. And so uh, we have this depravity, depravity uh, that has always existed. And we can talk about uh, TV shows and we can talk about, you know, messed up families and we can talk about the Kardashians. It's a messed up family. This family is also messed up. It's way more messed up. And so all of this has been around. And so what do we do? How do we, how do we take care of that? Especially when we possess the same evil heart that we see here that can take us up to that point. Easy. We don't feed the sin. Remember in verse 19 it says that she nursed the grudge. She nursed that, the grudge that she had against John. What happens when we feed our sin and we feed our sinful desires? Those sinful desires will grow. They will grow and grow and become a monster that we cannot control. So it's important to not feed our sinful desires. So don't be shocked about the bravery of the world because really us as human beings are depraved and it's only because of the grace of God that we are not like that. We need to ask for more grace. The second application that I have is make up your mind to do what is right. As I said earlier, Herod was the ultimate po politician. He loved to please everybody. I, I'm a people pleaser too. I like to serve people. I like to, uh, I like to try to figure out like what, what if there's a problem, anticipate problems, and like before they even know that they have this problem, try to uh, come up with a solution. 
I enjoy doing that. Uh, it hurts sometimes when, uh, if I'm asked something and I say, I don't know. I hate to say that. Um, but here, uh, we see Herod. Uh, he's just thrown around. Uh, he didn't make up his mind about anything. And when you don't make up your mind about anything, that means you're influenced by everything around you. He liked listening to, and it was intrigued by John, but yet he put him in jail. Um, he liked, he allowed the influence of uh, his wife to arrest and then ultimately killed John the Baptist. He allowed the social atmosphere to influence him into getting the wish, into granting the wish of his daughter. So all these things, he had to save face before his invited guests. He had to please his wife and do what she wanted. He did not make a decision for himself. A great example of this, and I, I, I love this when I talk to uh, youth, uh, if they're going to college or if they're, they're getting ready to do something, um, or go out on their own. I love the example of Daniel when he was captured into Babylon. Because in Daniel 1.8 it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So the great thing about this verse is you make up your mind before you're even in the situation. That's what happened right here. He resolved not to defile him. He said, I'm not going to do this. He developed that conviction. And not only did he develop that conviction, he took action on it there because it says that he went and asked the official for permission not to defile himself. And so the opposite of, of sort of not making up a decision or uh, being influenced by other things is making up your decision based on conviction and then taking action accordingly, being proactive about it. And so uh, we need to make our mind up to do what is right. Kids, uh, I hate to break it to you, but in a few weeks, maybe less than a few weeks, you guys are going to be starting school. Okay. All right, quiet down, quiet down. <laughs> we, and there in school, you're going to have to be faced with different situations. How are you going to react when people start picking on a kid? Are you going to join in? Are you going to stand up? Us as parents, how are we going to react? How are, when we are in different situations or adults, grown-ups, when we're at work, how are we going to react when confronted with a situation? Do you have a conviction? Have you made up your mind? So make up your mind to do what is right. The third application about this is be willing to be uncomfortable for your obedience to Jesus. Be willing to be uncomfortable. I think we have the best example in John here. Because let's talk about a life of being uncomfortable. Uh, John's clothes were made of camel hair. And he had a leather belt around his waist, and that was, that's what he wore. 
I can't, I've never heard of camel hair being uh, soft. Maybe it was, I don't know. Um, I've heard alpaca is great, but camel not so much. Uh, his food was locust and wild honey. Um, his message was not a, comf- a comfortable message. It was quite abrasive. Repent, change your mind, change your way of living, change your life. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He said some uncomfortable things to some pretty powerful people that ultimately got him killed. He spoke out for truth and what is right. He didn't cower uh, on issues or, or, or accepting what is not right, what is sin. He called out sin. Contrast that to Herod, who was in, uh, who was interested in, uh, he was interested in the words of John, but he never wanted to submit to them. He didn't want to give up his position of authority. He didn't want to give up his appearance. He didn't want to give up his marriage. He didn't want, there was a lot that he did not want to give up. And we can really apply this to our lives. What are we willing to be uncomfortable for in obedience to Jesus? Are we willing to speak up? Are we willing to speak up and, and, and invite people to church or ask how I can pray for you or sh- just simply um, be a blessing for them? If an opportunity arises to, to, to tell the truth, are we able to do that without second-guessing. Maybe we're holding on to something sinful that we really don't want to give up because it's an inconvenience. Are we willing to give that up? Are we willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of being obedient to Jesus? Don't be shocked at the depravity of this world. Make up your mind to do what is right and be willing to be uncomfortable for your obedience to Jesus. I pray that everyone in here would be willing to say yes to all of them. But I'm, I'm, I know, I know that there's people here struggling with that. I know it's not always easy to be uncomfortable but there's a, uh, a verse in James that says this. It says, uh, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let the perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Now there's a difference between suffering for Jesus Christ and suffering because of stupidity, Okay? That's called natural consequences. It happens, okay? It happens. But when you do what is right and you still suffer, that's when you suffer for Christ. That's being uncomfortable out of, uh, and, and being willing to be uncomfortable uh, out of obedience to Jesus. That's what we're going for. And yes, it is uncomfortable, and yes, it is persecution, but it says this, it gives us perseverance that we may be mature and we may be complete not lacking anything. 
It, it's guaranteed if we're going to do things right, if we're going to be obedient to Christ, it's going to happen. Life's not going to be easy. Life's not, life's not going to be a bed of roses. But it, we are going to experience uncomfortableness. We are going to experience uh, maybe persecution. Uh, maybe we might be made fun of in school. Maybe we might be made fun of at work. The same social anxieties that the kids have in school, we also have it in real life too. But it's okay. It's what Jesus is calling us to do in obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we just read this messed up story, Lord, of how um, just really evil people can be, Father, in it we can see your grace and we can see your mercy, Lord. And Father, we thank you that we don't need to feed our sinful desires. Father, we thank you that uh, you died on the cross to take that away and to offer us an exchange, Lord, for our sinful heart for a pure one. Father, help us to not just hear and be entertained by your words, but Father, help us to uh, understand and help your words produce change in our lives. Lord, help us to obey even when it hurts, when it's uncomfortable. Father, help us to live for you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in your son's name. Amen.